So good morning, church. Hope everybody's having a great day so far. When I was preparing for this sermon, I, of course, I read the chapter. That's the first step. And then I read some commentary on it, as I like to do. And one of the commentaries that I read was from a website called EnduringWord.com. And the stuff in that website really hit close to home for me. And I used a lot of what I found in that commentary when I prepared this message. In fact, it hit so close to home that I went to Chris and I said, did you give me this chapter to do on purpose? Because he kind of knows some things that have been going on in my life. And he said, no, I didn't give this to you on purpose. He said that they had this trip planned for a long time and this just happened to be the next one. So it kind of worked out really well. And God spoke a lot to me through this. So it's my hope that he speaks to you a lot through this message as well. So let's start off with a prayer. God, I just pray to hear the word that you have to speak to us today. That you give us hearts to be able to receive that word. And let your word be planted as a seed in our hearts. Give us hands and give us feet to put into action what you speak to us here today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dressed to impress, but just as impressed as the rest. And if I put my hand on your chest, does your heart not beat any less? Are you telling me you're feeling no pain, no strain, or no stress? Because you're walking around talking about, ooh, I'm so blessed. Is that the truth? Or like everyone else, is your life just a mess? Well, it's time to come to the altar. It's time to come. And confess. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Brett. I'm usually in the back where Chris is right now, behind all of those computer monitors. If you don't want to call me Brett, you can call me by my rap alter ego name, P. Rodical, also known as just P. for short, if you want to just call me P. I know that on the men's group there's been some confusion between Brett and Brent, so maybe just to clear all of that up between Brett and Brent, maybe we just call me P. from now on. So, my rap name, P.Rodical, or P. for short, is based upon the Bible story of the prodigal son, P.Rodical, or Prodigal. I was hoping one day that I would have a band and we could call ourselves P.Rodical and the Sons. Unfortunately, I haven't had anybody approach me about being in the band yet. Still taking offers, folks. Anyways, today. We're going to take a look at things that can try to deter us from completing a project. And that first starts with us being honest with ourselves. Hence the wrap. It's time for us to come to the altar and admit that while we might be blessed, certainly God has blessed us, all of us have pain, we've got strain, and we've got stress. And other things that get in the way of us being able to accomplish what God's plan is for us. We have to be honest with those challenges, and we've got to bring those to God. So let's get into it. I'm the kind of person who fixes things at my house with duct tape and zip ties. Those are my two go-to things. And if I can't fix it, then chances are I'm probably calling somebody else to help me out. So the idea of me sharing a message in a series called Fixer Upper is pretty laughable. 
Recently, we took on our biggest home improvement project in the 14 years that we've lived at our house here in Wellsville. We have a split level, and we recently built a wall in the family room that's in the downstairs, the basement, to create a bedroom for my 13-year-old son, Elliot. Now, there's no way that we could have accomplished this project without the help of my father-in-law, Carl. Most of you know Carl, attends church here. He provided us with the tools, the knowledge, and the help to get this job done. Now, as we completed this project, we had our fair share of distractions and fatigue, but we stayed the course, and I'm happy to say that the project is almost 100% complete. All that remains to be done is the installation of the door. I don't have a picture of that, but I do have a picture of the door frame. So you can see that we are not very good at home improvement. This, I do want to put this disclaimer out here because I'm sure at some point my father-in-law, Carl, if he's not watching it now, might watch this later. He did not help us with this part of the project. <laughs> he would be very upset if he thought that people thought he had something to do with this disaster. We didn't have any help whatsoever, as is evidenced by what the outcome of it was. As I said, we're not very good at this type of thing. But this is very true to what also happens in our daily lives. We go out there... And we try to go out and we try to run our lives without the help of God. And what are the results? Our lives end up looking a lot like the trim to my door there. So as I said, we had help with our project from my father-in-law, Carl. And just like we had help with our project, Nehemiah also had help from God. So what we're going to do as we're taking a look here at this chapter, Nehemiah is getting ready to wrap up, getting ready to finish this wall. So let's take a look here at the word. Sabalot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall that had no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates, kind of like our house and our building project, so Sabalot and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. How ironic is that? But I realized that they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending the message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalot's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you were rebuilding the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will come back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They are just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Bethabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God, 
and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalot have done. And remember that the prophet and all the prophets like her, who tried to intimidate us. So, on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters were sent back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shekiah, son of Ara, and his son, Joahan, was married to the daughter, Meshulam, son of Barkah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. So there is a lot going on in this chapter here. So we're going to break this down into smaller bite-sized pieces. So let's start back at the beginning. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates, so Sambalat, Geshem, sent a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? So, Nehemiah gets this invitation. And this invitation sounds friendly, but it was anything but friendly. The plan here was to harm Nehemiah. They're trying to pull him out into this plain in the land of Ono, and they're going to try to harm him there. That's the goal here. I have a question. Have you ever been invited somewhere under friendly pretenses, but once you got there, you realized what the true intent of that meeting was? Now, i got to be honest. This chapter hit close to home for me. I was in this situation not too long ago. I went into a meeting, a situation, thinking one thing. And then when I got into that situation, I realized that we were talking about two completely different things. The other person had a totally different agenda. Now, I wish that I had Nehemiah's discernment. I wish that I would have been able to understand what those people's true motive was before I went into that situation. I should have sought God's wisdom more before that meeting. Nehemiah simply said, I can't meet with you. I'm over here doing a great work. We often get distracted by things that are meant to sound good to us, but instead, in the long run, actually do us harm. If we would just stick to the work that God has for us, 
we, get, we wouldn't get distracted by those things. So now let's take a look at what else Nehemiah's enemies are trying to do to stop him from completing this wall. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I reply, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. So at first, what did they do? They attempt to lure Nehemiah away from his work to hurt him, but that failed. So his enemy turned to another tactic. Slander. Another question for you. Has anyone ever created a rumor about you in their heart? Has anyone ever said to you, you know what people are saying about you? Nehemiah dealt with the exact same thing that we deal with. People were saying that his plan was to be king. It wasn't about building up this wall. His true motive was to become king. But we all know that that wasn't Nehemiah's goal. Nehemiah's motives were pure, but they weren't portrayed that way. So how did Nehemiah respond to this? Did he give a detailed explanation with supporting evidence of his innocence? No. He simply said, I'm not doing these things that you're accusing me of. You invented those in your own heart. And he also said, oh God, please give me the strength. Now, when we are remodeling our lives and our nation, we will certainly have those who question our motives. We should simply reply, as Nehemiah did, this isn't my goal. You invented that. And God help me to not be brought down to their level. Nehemiah's enemies, they're not done yet. Next, they tried to use his religion against him. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and the grandson of Mephibel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Our enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samalot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Samalot have done. And remember Noadiah the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Nehemiah's enemies at this point are getting desperate. 
You can tell because they're trying to use Nehemiah's religion against them. People can twist the word of God to suit their agenda. Sometimes that can sound religious and might even sound logical, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's from God. Nehemiah understood the word of God as a whole, and he wasn't taking bits and pieces of it to suit what was convenient for him in that particular moment. His life was in danger, and hiding in the temple would have been a way to protect his life. But Nehemiah knew that only priests were allowed to enter. Another question. Have you ever had anyone try to use parts of the Bible to persuade you to do something that you knew wasn't a part of God's plan for your life? We should do as Nehemiah did. We should examine their claim within the whole scope of God's word and do what is right in God's sight, even if that means we're putting ourselves at risk. So what was the result of all of these plans of the enemy here? So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. 52 days to repair 100 years of ruin. That is what God can do if we trust him. I can see why their enemies were afraid. Can you imagine this wall's been down for 100 years? In 52 days, the wall's back up. Our enemy is afraid of what God can do in us and in our nation. Imagine what God can do in you in 52 days. But what about Nehemiah's enemies? What happened to them? During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shaniah, son of Arah, and his son, Jehoanan, was married to the daughter of Meshalom, son of Barakah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and they told him everything that I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. So, imagine you're Nehemiah. You know that Tobiah has tried to kill you. And you've got to hear about people talking about how great Tobiah is. He tried to kill you. Have you ever been in that position? Somebody has tried to harm you, or somebody who has actually harmed you, and then you have to hear about other people talk about how great of a person this person is? How should you handle that? Nehemiah simply left it in God's hands. Now, I know that's easier said than done. Nehemiah knew what God was capable of because he just witnessed it. He just saw God put up this wall in 52 days. 
What has God rebuilt in you? Knowing what you know of God's power, do you trust him to fairly deal with those who have tried or who have harmed him? Now, I'm asking you a lot of questions, but really I'm just asking myself these questions. And I figured if I need to answer these questions, then there's a pretty good chance that you need to answer them too. So, how do we respond to this? In our lives, and as a nation, as we seek to rebuild, we will face our fair share of enemies who will attack us in multiple ways, just like Nehemiah did. We will have enemies who will appear as friends who try to distract us. We will have false accusations levied against us. We will have those who try to use our own religion against us. We will have to hear others talk about the great deeds of those who have tried or who have actually harmed us. But we must do as Nehemiah did. We must stay the course. Simply deny those accusations. Apply the complete word of God to our situation. And trust the Lord to handle those who wish to harm us according to his will. Just as they do in all of those design shows as they're putting out the throw pillows and they're adjusting the picture frames on the walls, we can't give up in that final push. Because the hard work, it's already been done. At the beginning of the message, I showed you our failed attempt to put up trim around the door frame. We ended up putting some joint compound in there, and we painted it. And this is what it looks like now. Does that look perfect? No. Is it better than it was? Absolutely. And that is what God can do for us. He takes our pain. He takes our strain. And he takes our stress. And he fills in the gaps. And he paints it white as snow. We aren't perfect because there's still signs of when we try to do life on our own without God. You can still see that there's evidence that we messed up. But it's a lot closer to perfect than it was before. Because we are fixed by something that is perfect. Like Nehemiah, all we have to do is trust God. Is it really that hard considering the work that he has already done in our lives? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that you planted seeds here today. Seeds that we will trust you and no matter what the enemy throws against us, Lord, that we know that we can rely on you to help us overcome what our enemy has. Stop us. Lord, help us push through in our lives and as a nation in these final moments so that we can truly be remade, so that we can truly build that wall that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When uh, 
I do know Brett's story a little bit. He's been kind enough to share it with me. And when I first um, asked him if he could preach this Sunday, it was totally because I was taking Esther away. And I literally read the first couple verses and started laughing. And I told Esther, oh, this is going to be amazing. Um, and I just love how that works out. I love how God uh, generally uh, takes our pain and says, okay, now you can use it to go bless others. You know, he takes the things in us that are broken and, and wounded and allows us to use those things to be a blessing. So, thank you, Brett, for that word. That's a good one. Um, i tell you what, there's a line in that chapter that has been uh, serving as motivation to me when Nehemiah gives his first response and he goes, how can I come? I'm doing a great work. And I wish we could kind of tattoo that on the inside of our brains, you know. Every time we see one of those posts. I, I'm one of those people, one of the reasons I got off Facebook is when I see, like, real stupidity, I cannot help but confront it. Um, and I'll see a post, and and I always do this neck thing, and that's sort of, babe, don't. And she can see me with my phone, and I'll start, oh, God. And she goes, babe, just leave it alone, just leave it alone. And so I've been, I've been testing that line. How can I, how can I be distracted right now? I'm doing great work, and just trying to, trying to use that to. We all know what the real thing to do is. We all know what we're called to do. We all know we're called to love God and love people, and that's a full-time job for me. I figure if I ever master that, if I ever get really good at that, maybe I'll start looking beyond, but that's still a lot of work for me, and so that's a great work. Loving God and loving people, that's a great work, and I think we need to get really good at saying, um, how can I allow myself to be distracted? I'm doing a great work. Would you stretch out your hands and receive now this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you, Open Table Community Church. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.